Hello, and thank you for listening to Why We Can't Have Nice Things. This is Sophia, and just as a reminder, we do talk about some pretty heavy topics in this episode and in all episodes. So if at any point you need to leave this podcast land, please do so because your mental health is important. Today, we are talking about sexism and the history behind the idea, as well as some historical events in women's history. Today, we are talking about petrifying the patriarchy. So, picture this. You're walking down a street, you're a woman, and a man catcalls you from afar. He keeps at it to an uncomfortable degree, commenting on your body, on your looks, shallowly, sexually, pervertedly. Or this, you're shamed for sleeping with people while a man doing the exact same thing is congratulated and called a go-getter. Maybe even this. You're on campus and overhear a group of people talking about a sexual assault that happened recently. A guy asks what she was wearing or if she was drunk or if she was asking for it. These are a taste of everyday acts of sexism. Whether you believe it or not, sexism happens every day. And I guarantee you, if you ask any woman at any point of their life, they will say, at some point in their life, they've had an everyday act of sexism happen to them. Whether it just be a comment, or something as simple as, you know, being catcalled, or something severe as being fired for their gender, or being sexually assaulted, or something to that effect. Sexism, as defined by Sensoy and D'Angelo in Is Everyone Really Equal?, is the systemic oppression of women by men, and encompasses economic, political, social, and institutional actions and beliefs that perpetrate an unequal distribution of privileges, resources, and power between men and women. So why does it exist? Why does sexism exist? People posed many theories as to the origin of sexism, from biological tendencies that we developed from whenever we spouted off the evolution train from chimpanzees, to mimicking the animal kingdom around us, where the male animal provides the family, and the female animal raises and did the childbearing and the quote-unquote homemaking. According to one idea, and a major change happened around 12,000 years ago from new scientists, when nomadic life became a thing of the past for many people and settlers started taking permanent residence doing agriculture and farming, started raising livestock. They stockpiled these resources that they ultimately felt the need to defend, and rightfully so. And power shifted to males who were physically stronger and were able to protect the resources more efficiently. 
In order to protect the resources, male family members lived close by, and they would pass any property down to the male side of the kins, next of kins, to achieve a sense of protection for all that was owned and possessed. And that was probably a good idea of the beginning of the patriarchy. So, while this was happening, females would start to leave their family to join their husband's family, says Olson and Douglas. As a result of this, giving males an advantage with having familial resources at hand. So, here's some sexist history. Don't we just love to hear about sexist history? (laughs) Aristotle. Yes, that Greek dude, that Greek philosopher dude. His political theory was very misogynistic. In fact, he flat out stated that women were inferior. He, He said, and I quote, The male is by nature superior, and the female inferior. He then claimed slaves, women, And animals belong in the category of things to be used. Their usefulness is relational to their function and subordination and sex. I'm also going to touch on this controversial topic of Christianity. Yes, I'm going to go there. Genesis condemned women to be ruled over by men and to have childbearing pain so severe, and to be there for the desires of their husband. And it's controversial because some state it's the reading of Christian symbols making it sexist, not Christianity in the Bible itself. So in the late 19th century, and yes, I know I'm kind of all over the place, but we're Going fast forward into some history lessons. <laughs> um, in the late 19th century, that was when the rise of feminism and ex- existentialism happened. Um, but before that really happened, we had in 1777, all the states in existence at that time passed laws that women were not allowed to vote. In the 1800s, we finally got co-educational studies at college level, and state laws were passed that women could retain their property after marriage. And we did have the first state, Mississippi, to grant the women to hold property with a husband's permission. But, But look at these numbers. These numbers may seem, these years may seem far, far away and far, far in the past. But when you look at it, it's not that long ago. Truly, it's not that long ago. Less than 150 years ago, some of these dates. In 1855... In Missouri versus Celia, a slave, a black woman was declared to be property 
They have no right to defend themselves against rape from their master. In 1873, in Broadwell v. Illinois, the U.S. Supreme Court ruled that a state can take away married women's rights to practice law if they want to. And in 1875, Minor v. Habersat, the U.S. Supreme Court stated that a state can prohibit a woman from voting as they are a special category of non-voting citizens. Women's rights and history is so interesting to me because people say that women have such amazing rights and privileges now and that there is no disparity between gender. And that is entirely false. Entirely false. Especially when you bring race and ethnicity and even religion into it. Even geography into it. Women are not afforded the same rights as men. So back on my history spiel. Um, in 1916, Margaret Sanger was arrested after establishing a clinic in Brooklyn that offered contraceptives, trying to challenge New York's anti-contraceptive law. Hundreds of other people within a 40-year period were also arrested challenging this law. In 1918, Sanger actually won in New York versus Sanger, allowing doctors to advise their married, and I want to emphasize married, patients about birth control for health purposes. Yes, birth control could be for married people now, not single or unmarried people. (laughs) I want to stress that. Um... In 1932, the National Recovery Act forbid, forbade, my bad, um, more than one family member from holding a government job, creating such a loss for women um, careers. Many women had to give up their careers and jobs so that their husband or a family member they had could keep their job. In 1936, U.S. versus one package of Japanese pessaries won judicial approval of medicinal use of birth control. In 65, Weeks versus Southern Bell was a win against restrictive labor laws for women opening up new jobs. Um, so people were no longer allowed to restrict labor in ways where they could tell a woman that a job couldn't work with them because of the hours or such. Now that these labor laws were lifted, many job opportunities happened in many different career fields that women could apply to, not necessarily that they got in every field, because sexism was still thriving in the 60s. Also, in 65 was Griswold versus Connecticut, where in Connecticut, the Supreme Court prohibited the prescription use of contraceptives or any tool used as a contraceptive for married women. 
which honestly is insane to me. But <laughs> in 1972, Einstein versus Baird, the Supreme the Supreme Court ruled the right to privacy, which included an unmarried person's right to use contraceptives. So do you remember way back when, when I was talking about Margaret Sanger and um, 1916? Yeah, it's now 1972. Um, in 1973, we had the legendary Roe versus Wade to make a abortion legal and in 1981 we had sandra day o'connor become the first woman to serve on the u.s supreme court in 84 we had mississippi finally ratify the 19th amendment aka the women's right to vote and in 89 we had webster versus the reproductive health services um which ultimately affirmed that states can deny public funding for abortion and prohibit public hospitals in their states from performing abortions, which I'm sad to leave us on this very sad note. I really am. But in this next episode, which is the second part of this episode, we're going to talk about the current everyday sexism, more current events surrounding sexism and feminism, and laws that still exist today that are entirely sexist, and I don't even know how they're still in existence. So I will see you next time, and have a wonderful, wonderful day, okay?